This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Based on community feedback, a new infrastructure funding plan with minor activation and multiple projects has been created. Bitcoin ABC intends to implement this plan. You forging ice holes. It is 9.52 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is Wednesday, February the 19th, 2020. This is episode 202 of Bitcoin, and I'm lying through my teeth. Because by the time you hear this, it's going to be Thursday, February the 20th. And some of you might be listening to it at, oh, I don't know, 5 a.m. God. Almighty, I can't begin to imagine starting my commute to work at 5 a.m. Oh, man, it's just painful to think about. But people do it, and it's okay. It's okay. Um, as you heard, you farging ice holes are going to be uh, uh, taxed because you're running Bcash. Uh, don't even run Bcash. Stop with the whole Bcash thing. It would be easier if... If this wasn't here, but hey, hey, you know, be that as it may, uh, I you, not, not anything I can do about it. So let's just uh, let's climb on into some uh, morning roundup here. The Bitcoin Cash community is splitting once again. Now, this was uh, a couple of days ago. This is actually from CryptoBriefing.com. Uh, Ashwath Balakrishnan is writing this two days ago for CryptoBriefing.com. Uh, controversy continues in the Bitcoin cash community as the proposal to implement a forceful minor tax has been confirmed and will be added to Bitcoin ABC's next client upgrade. This decision has not gone down well with a significant part of the community. Gee, I wonder why my (laughs) whoop-dee-woo. Bitcoin ABC, a node client for Bitcoin cash used by over 50% of the BCH network, has announced its support for btc.tops mining tax proposal announced earlier this year. The good news for dissidents is that the tax has been reduced from 12.5% of block rewards to only 5% of block rewards. However, the reason for dissent in the first place was the ideology behind the tax on miners. And they've got, oh God, Dr. Peter Risen. Uh, a couple of tweets of his. Normally I would just skip right over it, but let's see what the good... Scientist Dr. Risen has to say, Amari Sachet is literally modifying the BCH protocol to issue coins to him and his friends. Due to the poison pill, miners and exchanges must upgrade before May the 15th. If they do as usual and download the new version of ABC, his plan succeeds by default. This will test if Bcash can avoid being captured by a group of developers. Bitcoin does not have payouts to third parties encoded into its protocol. 
If exchanges and miners download and run the new version of ABC, BCH will be Bcash with no rights to the name Bitcoin. Now that was on February the 15th. So continuing with the article here, Bitcoin ABC support for their proposal has positioned them to become one of the primary beneficiaries of the tax. Rival node client Bitcoin Unlimited has vehemently opposed the tax. For instance, as they are unlikely to benefit from the tax in any way. Jiang Zhu's recent blog post names Bitcoin ABC, BCHD, and Electron Cash as a few recipients of the tax. It is still unclear if the tax will be directed exclusively at the, these entities or whether the miner who secures the block gets to choose the recipient of the donation. Either way, many users are unhappy with this tax. Again, I wonder why. Having a tax championed by a sect of miners and developers sets a precedent that these groups can force top-down plans on the community. Critically, what miners think is best for Bitcoin Cash may not necessarily be what the wider community believes is the right path. Adding worry to woes, a Redditor pointed out that Bitcoin ABC's last upgrade included a code de deactivation clause that occurs every six months when the, when the network hard forks. This means even if those running ABC nodes want to skip the hard fork and continue running an earlier version of the client, it will automatically update to the new code, which includes the minor tax. Let's read that one again. Adding to worry or adding worry to woes, a Redditor pointed out that Bitcoin ABC's last upgrade included a code deactivation clause that occurs every six months when the network hard forks. Meaning, even if those running ABC nodes want to skip the hard fork and continue running an earlier version of the client, it will automatically update to the new code, which includes the minor tax. Ruminate on that one. Lit that one. Spin like a little dreidel in your head and bounce off the walls in there because what was just said is antithetical to everything. The tax is antithetical by itself, but the fact that they put code that deactivates your node unless you upgrade to the new client, well, that one, that one should buzz in your head and it should sting like a wasp. You have to get away from these people. You have to. If you're anywhere close to any of these people, you, you run, don't walk to the nearest exit. Because if you if this go uh, this is going down because this shit I think it just dropped the uh, upgrade just dropped I don't know either today or I, I just saw it I saw it drop today but it may very well have dropped a couple of days ago like after you know right after the fifteenth or on the fifteenth I'm not sure it doesn't really matter because this the the fact that I didn't even catch the fact that they had put that clause in the last upgrade to ABC. So now it's a, it's a force upgrade. Everything about this, it's a forced tax. It's a forced upgrade. What is it again about this chain that people find so, I don't know, why are they enamored with this thing? It's, this is bad, guys. It's just, again, run, don't walk to the nearest exit. Considering BCHD, another node client, is also a recipient they are most likely in support of the proposal as well. The only way for BCH enthusiasts to stop this is for ABC nodes to switch over to Bitcoin Unlimited. Bitcoin Cash evangelist 
<clears throat> Roger Ver also chimed into the discussion, publicly criticizing the minor tax to avoid a chain split. If miners were truly concerned about funding infrastructure development and maintaining a free market structure, they would have donated off-chain rather than forcing every miner to give away a portion of their reward, he said. Another idea advocates for large miners to keep their portion of the rewards and hire developers and improve the Bitcoin Cash ecosystem that way. Bitcoin ABC is already committed to the tax, so unless they repeal or miners withdraw their support, it is unlikely to be thwarted. With the community split, once again, Bitcoin Cash's third contentious hard fork may be underway. Although mass adoption has long been regarded as an important component for Bitcoin demand, its relatively high fees and more periodic usage may actually drive prices up, according to economic theory. 2020 has seen the best start of the year for Bitcoin prices in seven years, and at press time, BTC is trading at around $10,300, according to Coin Market Cap, up from $7,200 on New Year's Day. I'm just going to stop right there because they, for whatever reason, they go into price performance and some other other items. The uh, the meat and potatoes here clearly is not only the tax itself, but the fact that they're going to force the upgrade on you. You don't get the chance to run whatever version of the software you want to run anymore. I don't, again, if if that's okay with you, then you're in the wrong industry. Bitcoin is not for you. It's just, it's not. And it's also not for this guy because we are all Satoshi except... Craig Wright, who doubles down on Satoshi claim, says Bitcoin Core infringes on his database rights. This was written sometime on the 17th by Daniel Palmer for Coindesk. The Australian entrepreneur who claims to be the inventor of Bitcoin has suggested he might take legal action against the cryptocurrency's developer team over claimed infringement of his intellectual property. In a blog post published last Thursday, Craig Wright said, while forks of Bitcoin would be allowed under the open source MIT license under which Bitcoin was released, copying the database would not. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. He's blowing smoke, okay? So I'm reading this for comic relief here. Quote, as the sole creator of Bitcoin, I own full rights to the Bitcoin registry. <laughs> People can fork my software and make alternative versions but they have no rights to change the protocol using the underlying database right wrote. However, Bitcoin Core, the group that maintains and develops Bitcoin, and Bitcoin ABC, the team behind Bitcoin Cash, have sought to use my database without authority, Wright claimed. It should be noted that Wright's claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous inventor of Bitcoin, has not been proven either legally or to the satisfaction of many experts in the crypto community. He is also the backer of a different cryptocurrency, Bitcoin SV or BSV, because it's the bullshit version. In the post, Wright appears to suggest he might attempt to take legal action against Core and ABC, saying those involved with the copied systems that are passing themselves off at Bitcoin are hereby put on notice. Please trust me when I say that I'm far nicer before the lawyers get involved. <laughs> This dude, based on his claim to be Bitcoin's inventor, Wright said Core and ABC infringed on his intellectual property rights under the MIT open source license under which Bitcoin is issued. That, however, allows use of the code without restriction as long as the copyright notice and permission notice are included in all copies of substantial portions of the software. The license states, quote, permission is hereby given 
or granted free of charge to any person obtaining a copy of this software and associated documentation files, the software to deal in the software without restriction, including without or including without limitation, the right limitation, the rights to use, copy, modify, merge, publish, distribute, sublicense, and or sell copies of the software and to permit persons to whom the software is furnished to do so, end quote. Wright also asserts he has database rights in the EU and the UK as part of a distributed global partnership. <clears throat> Senior partners within CORE or ABC reside within Europe and the UK, presenting the opportunity to incorporate them in the matter without any jurisdictional challenges. Elsewhere, he claims to have issued all 21 million Bitcoin and that nodes are in effect agents to my network. Quote, if you negotiate with me, arrangements can be made allowing the continuance of selected copies of my network with a set of restrictions. In other words, I am willing to license the Bitcoin database. I will do so on my terms, he wrote. In May 2019, Wright registered a copyright claim in the United States for the Bitcoin white paper and original code with a press release appearing soon after the claim his authorship had thus been recognized. The Copyright Office responded days later, saying it had not recognized Wright as the author of the works and that it does not investigate the truth of any statement made in filings. Multiple core developers were contacted for comment, but had not responded at press time. You know why they haven't responded? Because it's not worth their time. There's nothing about this that is even remotely dangerous. It's just him blowing smoke again. So, but be aware, the guy is not going to go away. He's just, he's going to hang around clinging onto this thing like a shit ball that you were never able to get rid of without shaving your butt and taking a shower. He's that bad. Seriously, he's that bad. But the guy, he's, he's got no legal teeth. Again, I, I really do. I think he suffers from some sort of legal Munchausen by proxy syndrome where he now he's so enamored with the law that he just wants to live in court. Honestly, there's something wrong with that. It's not healthy. And I, I honestly believe that he's, he's doomed himself to an unhealthy death. I mean, there's no way that you can just continuously live in this stasis of horrendous activity without it taking a toll on your health. I mean, and if, well, I guess, I don't know. Heroin addicts apparently do it all the time. They engage in horrendous behavior by shooting up heroin and seem to live for freaking years. But whatever, the Daily Hodel staff writing for you, guessed it, the Daily Hodel says, Bitcoin shopping app Lolly teams up with Priceline, Glossier, Expedia, and 950 merchants in push for mainstream adoption of cryptocurrency. So apparently they've added a few more few more things. This was written February the 19th. Alex Adelman, or Edelman, chief executive author, author, uh, officer and co-founder of Bitcoin shopping app Lolly, says the platform now has more than 950 merchants. In an interview with CNN's First Move, Adelman explains how Lolly introduced customers or consumers to cryptocurrency through a reward system that gives cash back in the form of Bitcoin. Adelman tells anchor Julia Chatterley that many people first experienced Bitcoin through Lolly. Quote, what we're trying to do is create the easiest way for people to get into Bitcoin. And we have done so through a cash back model. We partner with merchants and then those merchants pay us when our users shop at their sites. Then... 
We send people free Bitcoin through their lolly wallets. Mm, I know, I've gotten some. Adelman says hundreds of merchants, including some of the world's most recognized brands, now partner with Lolly because the platform also introduces businesses to cryptocurrency. Quote, everyone from Priceline to Glossier to Expedia, we have over 950 merchants. We have almost a thousand. And these merchants are coming on board because it is the easiest way for the merchants to get into Bitcoin as well. It is not just the consumers that we have created an easy on-ramp for. We are getting mass merchant adoption. And I think some of the biggest merchants in the world have already joined us today. Yeah, I'd say, man. As to how Lolly users can utilize the cryptocurrency they earn from the cashback system, Edelman says many are holding on to their Bitcoin. Quote, a lot of our users treat it as an investment. I think the data right now is that over 90% of our users just hold it as an investment. Very few actually exchange it out, and I think that's a sign that people are treating it as an investment account. They are treating it as a savings technology, which is, I think, Bitcoin's biggest feature right now. And that's the end of the article, but my commentary here is get your money out of Lolly. And I'm not, not because I don't like Lolly. I love these guys. I really do. I, you know, they've been so far so good. They've been a, a they've been a high quality Bitcoin company, but Unless you're experimenting and keep like I was doing with, with my drop bit, you know, uh, my $12 worth of Bitcoin on drop bit, which I will probably never get back because of the whole thing with drop bit that's going on. Um, uh, the C- CEO of the parent company facing 30 years in jail for laundering $311 million allegedly because he ran a Bitcoin mixer in 27 uh, before up to, well up to an ending at uh, 2017. And so he's, he may very well go to the Hooskow for that one, but the lightning wallet has been cleaned out as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bad deal, but you know, I'm, I'm okay with the 12 bucks because I kept it on drop bit cause I'm, ex- I was experimenting with drop bit. Did I get hosed? Oh yeah, I got hosed. I got hosed for 12 bucks. God knows if the price goes where we think it's going to go, it's going to be a hell of a lot more than 12 bucks, but we got to start somewhere. So unless you're experimenting with Lolly and keeping it in there as like sort of treating it like a wallet um, and you're and you are prepared to lose all of that money, then by all means, keep it on there. If you are not prepared to lose that money, get it off a Lolly. And I don't think Alex would be hurt by me saying this because Alex seems to be a pretty good, solid Bitcoiner. And being a good, solid Bitcoiner means not your keys, not your coins, Speaking of, we tracked 133,000 Ethereum names and exposed their secrets. Decrypt.co's Tim Copeland is writing this on February the 18th. The Ethereum name service lets users send and receive crypto effortlessly. It also makes it incredibly easy to spy on them. (laughs) Oh boy. The Ethereum name service was designed to make sending and receiving crypto easier. You take your Ethereum address, an alphanumeric string of characters, which shows how much ETH you have in your account and replace it with a simple name. Much like how email addresses replace clunky pieces of code, it was supposed to make crypto simpler. But Decrypt has learned that this step forward in user design has meant several steps backward when it comes to privacy. Since the Ethereum blockchain is transparent, anyone can use your Ethereum name to peer at your finances. It's the difference between sending someone an email and then being able to look at your entire inbox. 
In our investigation, we found it possible to work out where people would be in the future, see insights into business deals, and know just how much money people really have, all by observing public blockchain data. Lead developer Nick Johnson set up the Ethereum Names service in May of 2017. Ethereum names look like domain names, decrypt.eth, for instance. Anyone can use an Ethereum address to register a name or multiple names. They can then assign any of the names to other addresses they own or sell them. All a user needed was a pre-existing Ethereum address to make the purchase. Johnson told Decrypt, Ethereum fans have spent 6,235 ETH, about $1.7 million US so far, just buying up Ethereum names. But even if they assign the Ethereum name to one of their accounts that only has a handful of crypto in it, the address they use to register the name is available too. And this allows snoopers to see how much money was stored in those accounts. Inside the 15,000 unique addresses that have bought the 133,000 Ethereum names, there is a combined total of 364,000 ETH, about $100 million, and thousands, if not millions of dollars of Ethereum-based tokens too. So we decided to see how much we could glean just from these crumbs of information. Turns out it's quite a lot. We reached out to everybody we looked into and have included any replies received. While the richest Ethereum addresses tend to be attached to pseudonymous names, hiding the owner's real identity, not all of them are, and even the most abstract names aren't always foolproof. Let's start with a challenge. The Ethereum name neutral.eth is connected to an address that's empty of Ethereum. Contains just 0.08 cent or 0.08 dollars in Omizgo tokens. There are no other names associated with the address, and it has made just four transactions ever. Not much to go on. But the address that registered the name tells a different story. It contains 58,000 Ethereum worth $15 million and an extra $2.5 million in tokens. What's interesting about this address is that it regularly received large payments from crypto exchange Poloniex's main wallet, while most payments are typically handed out using its secondary wallets. These payments stopped the same day that Circle, which owned the exchange at the time, scrapped trading fees, suggesting it's a company wallet. This may explain why the name is so understated. The third biggest address owns Coinsensus.eth, WeFund.eth and MetaMask.eth. It contains 31,600 ETH worth $8 million. Could this be our very own financer, Ethereum billionaire Joe Lubin, who owns Consensus, which funds an editorially independent decrypt and was the incubator for none other than MetaMask and WeFund? It just might be. Sometimes it's surprisingly easy to identify an Ethereum name. Take silberjung.eth while the address linked to it contains just $17 worth of ethereum the address used to register it contains a hefty 1163 eth worth about a quarter million dollars alongside a further $121,000 of ethereum based tokens a quick google search reveals that silberjung is simply a pseudonym pseudonym for thorsten schult a well-known silver and gold expert, best-selling author and former investment banker. He even used the pseudonym and his Twitter handle. (laughs) Oh, as his Twitter handle. He's also spoken about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, including a 20-minute interview with Hamburg-based Grossfeit TV on the subject. It's possible the Ethereum name isn't his, but it sure looks likely.
The issue here is that Ethereum names make it trivially easy for criminals to create a list of people that have the most amount of Ethereum and likely have a crypto wallet, such as a Ledger Nano sitting in their bedroom at home. Not because Ethereum names themselves are a bad idea, but because Ethereum is open to, quote, it's well known that public ledgers like Bitcoin and Ethereum lack privacy, and that as a result, it's easy to track transactions made on these public blockchains, Johnson told Decrypt, adding, ENS makes it easier to exchange addresses from Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies, which makes them more generally useful to everyone. It doesn't attempt to address the privacy issue inherent in public ledgers. Ongoing research into privacy and distributed ledgers has led to breakthroughs such as Zcash and Tornado Cash. Never heard of it. We strongly recommend people take care with what activities they expose on public ledgers and take advantage of these solutions where appropriate, he said. This level of oversight also makes it possible to see what people are doing with their money. Spankchain CEO <laughs> Amin Soleimani owns both Amin.eth and AminSoul.eth. Looking at the blockchain, you can see a transaction he made for 10 ETH on November the 30th, 2019, worth $1,500 at the time. It seemed likely that it was sent to James Kim, CEO at Global Block Branding, who sells domain names for a living and claims to own 20,000 crypto domain names. It's possible he was either buying Ethereum names or some crypto-related domain names. When you start labeling Ethereum addresses, the blockchain becomes very transparent. It turns out, this is an update, it turns out that this analysis was incorrect. Metacartel operator Peter Pan tweeted that, in fact, he owned the domain name for jameskim.eth and Soleimani sent him the money. Quote, I know the risks of using public ENS names, Soleimani said, adding, that's why we're all so excited about privacy technology like Tornado Cash, so we can create fresh Ethereum accounts without a direct link to previous accounts without having to go through an exchange. Another example is Jordan Muir, creator of Fame, or sorry, creator of Frame, who owns multiple Ethereum names, including Jordan.eth, FrameHQ.eth, and SmartAccounts.eth. In these accounts, he owns a total of $106,000 worth of ETH and, and various tokens. Back in May of 2018, Argon announced it had given a grant of $48,000 to fame. It added that the project could receive a bonus of up to $50,000 if certain deliverables were met. It appears that they were, although no further announcement was made. Just three days after Frame released an alpha mainnet version of, on April the 1st, 25,000 Aragon tokens worth $17,000 were sent from Aragon's main wallet to Muir's account, implying that releasing the mainnet was one of the deliverables. While this isn't particularly sensitive, it does provide some extra insight into the project than was publicly available. It's possible to see people's salaries too when they're paid in Ethereum or in token form. For example, Jack Chang, chief evangelist at Breaker, formerly Singularity DTV, who owns Jack Chang.eth and ETH Ulet, or I guess Roulette, ETH, ETH Ulet whatever, .eth, received payments in singles, its native token. Chang was paid 33,055 tokens worth 4,600 bucks in August 2017, and then 1 million singles tokens worth 15,000 in May of 2019. Since the payments came directly from the main singular DTV wallet, it is likely they were part of his salary. But watching how much people are getting paid is not all you can do. Ethereum names can be used to track people's whereabouts. Bobby Ong, co-founder of data site CoinGecko, 
owns the Ethereum name BobbyOng.eth or Bob, Bob, yeah, BobbyOng.eth. Anyone watching the blockchain address linked to the name would have known that Ong would be at Unshudo 7-2 Shigerichi Kito Ward, Osaka, on October the 7th, 2019, attending the Daisuke Meetup. Focused on the stablecoin Dai, 17 days before the event even happened, and two days after the event, they would have seen strong evidence that he did, in fact, attend. The event in question was run by Kickback Events, where you put down a deposit for the event, and if you don't turn up, your deposit gets shared between those who do. It's designed to incentivize people to not only sign up for the events they plan on attending, but attending. While that might be effective, it also lets people observe attendees from the comfort of their own home. In this case, Ong sent $10 worth of dye to an address labeled On Block Explorer Etherscan as Kickback Daisuke Meetup on September the 20th, 2019, <clears throat> indicating that he planned on attending the event the following month. Then... On October 9th, he received the kickback of $19 and die, showing that not only did he turn up, but he was rewarded handsomely for doing so. Quote, in this case, I should have been more careful with my Ethereum address hygiene and segregated transactions that I wanted to make public from those that I wanted to keep private, Ong told Decrypt, adding ENS provides convenience to users, but it is up to the users to preserve their privacy. I hope that more privacy features will be built on Ethereum to improve privacy and security for users, end quote. Ethereum's selling points have always been that it offers control over your own data, identity, and privacy. Crypto YouTuber and Ethereum bull Omar Bomb, who has 119,000 subscribers, even recently tweeted that Ethereum is privacy. But if anything, the Ethereum name service opens a door into people's private lives, that they've never seen before. So yeah, uh, no, <laughs> stay uh, again, run, don't walk to the nearest exit. I mean, I get what they're saying. I really do. I'm not that blind to it. Yes, it makes it easier, but there's, there's trade-offs. There's trade-offs in everything. But if you're going to shit coin, go somewhere else. Crypto Anthem calls out industry tribalism, pumps, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Cardano, Stellar, and Chainlink. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel on February the 18th. Oh boy, call it the end of crypto tribalism and puerile antics as we know it. No, I'm not going to call it that shit at all, dude. A, the, uh, the, the words tribalism and puerile antics are being applied to something that's uh, actually pretty serious. We're not trying to rob you, we're trying to help you. The fact that we call out scams doesn't mean that we're puerile or into tribalism. It means we have a spine, a set of ethics that we're not willing to transgress. This is me talking. This is not the article. Because I guarantee you this article is probably not going to be talking about trying to be ethical, do the right thing, and warn people of the fact that 99.9% .9 of this space is 100% scam. There is nothing about the crypto space that is even remotely wholesome. Nothing about it. 99.999% of this crap is pure garbage. And of those that aren't just going after being pure garbage, there is a whole set of people that are in it to just take your money. And if you want to be that sucker, by all means, bro, be that sucker. But a new recording dedicated to the developers behind a number of leading cryptocurrency projects just dropped on Monday, penned by Joshua Mapperson, 
the head of content at Aleph Blockchain and produced by David Verity, Crypto Anthem features a long list of cryptocurrency and blockchain projects, including Bitcoin, Ether, Ripple, Dash, Stellar, Chainlink, Tether, Monero, Iost, VeChain, Ontology, and the song's sponsor, the Shitcoin King, Elf. Elf or whatever, A-E-L-F. It's just, it's garbage, whatever. The songwriters are hoping the EDM track can bring the bickering and deeply divided cryptocurrency community back from the edge of destruction. The fucking hubris here is disgusting, guys. The edge of destruction. Uh, the only thing on the edge here is just the amount of hubris that I'm seeing in this particular daily hodl. Ah, uh, uh, I'm going to get back, get, get, get straight, bro. Get straight. In the wake of philosophical divisions, hard forks, dap war, Satoshi battles, adoption, jockeying, and one team of developers shredding another over having better technology and faster transaction speeds. Tribalism among the 2000 plus projects remains an existential threat to the industry as the quest for decentralization seems unable to prevent crypto kings and queens from slaying one another. <laughs> God, this is just, this is terrible. Shows you the stupidity. No, nothing can show you this amount of stupidity. With competition biting deep, the anthem shines the light on blockchain brands that could leverage their unity in order to challenge the status quo instead of driving wedges that tarnish the industry. In a tweet last year, Chris Burns, yeah, Bernsky, Bernisky, Bernisky, yeah, Bernisky, a partner at Placeholder a New York venture firm that specializes in crypto assets encapsulates how the movement is shooting itself in the foot. Quote, tribalism is the biggest drain on crypto's human resources that I see today. Tribal toxicity drives newcomers away, has caused valuable talent to leave the industry and clouds the thinking of the committed. To those that aren't deep in crypto, we all look like part of the same movement. <coughs> I should have said bullshit during that sneeze, but whatever. It makes no sense that a movement attack itself. We end up looking incoherent, nasty, and immature. Who wants to join such a movement? According to the team behind Crypto Anthem, quote, there are constant issues surrounding crypto Twitter and other crypto communities in relation to project rivalry, scams, false claims, and accusations that can sometimes be quite toxic. This song hopes to drive past all these problems and focus on what really matters. Crypto is here and here to stay. It doesn't matter if your platform has more dApps on it or your project creates a better social media following. <laughs> what, what matters is that we're all pioneers in an emerging technology that will revolutionize the world. God, please be the end of it. Please. Oh, thank God. And it ends with the YouTube link to, this, to the song, the crypto anthem, and no. I haven't heard it, and I'm not going to make you listen to it. I promise I'm not going to do that shit to you. So, apparently a song is going to solve all our woes. I was a child in the 70s, and there was a Coca-Cola commercial that made every media and advertising magazine's cover. It was the song... I want to give the world a Coke. It was about unity. It was about a bunch of people standing in a freaking field sometime in the late fall 
wearing coats and hats and shit. And they were all singing this stupid song, holding up a, a glass of Coke. Of course, this was all when Coke was made with real cane sugar and not that garbage uh, high fructose corn syrup that it's made with today. And you know what it did for the world in binding us together and making sure that we didn't pollute and, and do all that? It did nothing. It did nothing. Because human nature is quite different than what you want it to be. And if you want to dig deeper into human nature, look at the immune system of any mammal and hell a lot of plants too but let's just look at the at the mammalian base immune system it's designed to kill everything that is not itself the immune system knows itself by something called the immunohistocompatibility complex the mhc and honestly if you dig into immunology it's a very brutal situation, but the immune system in a mammal does not have a choice. It's designed that way. And if for whatever reason you think that, for the, that fractals don't have a place in the universe, you're dead wrong. The whole thing about the Fibonacci sequence is, the mystery, is one of the codes and keys to the mystery of all life. Clearly, it's used in TA, but beyond that, it's used in everything, man. The fractal nature of the universe, it, it's like a pattern just evolving and getting bigger. But when you get right down to it, it's all the same pattern. There are four, use, there are four forces in the universe that make all of this. Gravity, the strong force, the weak force, and the electromagnetic force. Those four forces have defined everything in the universe. It is a very small rule set. So the fractal nature of the universe makes sense to me because the only way to get complexity when you have such a small rule set is to make patterns out of patterns. The human nature is going to be very much like the immune system that defends us. That fractal pattern has emerged in Bitcoin. We're not here to fuck around with you people. When money is on the line, which translates into the time that I've spent on this planet trying to do shit, and you cheapen it with all of your shit coinery, you can expect me to fight back. And if you think a song with a couple of people holding up a glass of Coca-Cola is going to change anything, you're wrong. Because if I could cure somebody's autoimmune disease by giving it a freaking soft drink, we would have been doing that years ago. But no, forgive the rant. But this kind of, this kind of thing, where they try to cheapen what is actually serious, the fact that we're calling out scam after scam after scam after scam, and the only thing, the only people that are giving us shit about it are the people that run the scams. This should be your very first flag that you fly up the mast that says we're under attack. None of these people have any, any at all, zero, not a zilt, zippo interest in having Bitcoiners call out the scams. They have no interest. So the only thing that they can do is resort to ad hominem attacks and call us things like puerile or engaging in tribalism. If I were you, 
I wouldn't let them get away with that shit. So these guys can go sit and spin until they die. Now, an Irish court seizes $56 million in Bitcoin from alleged drug dealer. This one doesn't have anywhere close to the amount of uh, information that's required, but I got to read it so that it can that I can seize up in a rant okay so coin telegraph adrian's munsky is writing sometime uh, the 19th of february an alleged drug dealer lost 52 million euros over 56 million dollars in bitcoin after the irish high court ruled that they were criminal proceeds and should be confiscated Local news outlet Independent.ie reported on February the 19th that the court accepted that Clifton Collins was involved in drug trafficking. Collins did not contest the Criminal Assets Bureau's application for the seizure of his assets. Authorities began investigating Collins when police found a quantity of cannabis in his vehicle during a traffic stop. This led police to search an address in a village in Galway and discovered a large... <clears throat> number of cannabis plants allegedly linked to Collins. Collins is believed to have invested in Bitcoin at an early stage and received great returns on his investment. The CAB imposed a freeze on his cryptocurrency in an attempt to ensure that it could not be moved without the court's approval. Now that one's really important, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it again. Collins is believed to have invested in Bitcoin early and made great returns. The CAB imposed a freeze on his cryptocurrency in an attempt that it couldn't be moved. Imposed a freeze on his cryptocurrency. Let that run around in your head while we read the rest of this. The court decided to consider the investments as criminal proceeds, presumably implying that the initial investment was money obtained through drug sales. The seizure of Collins' Bitcoin... Again, read it again. The seizure of Collins's Bitcoin was largely responsible for 2019's record value of assets seized by the CAB, amounting to 62 million euros, nearly 67 or 67 million dollars U.S. in total. The correlation between cryptocurrencies and crime is largely caused by their permissionless nature and the ability to hold a crypto address that is not linked to one's identity. As such, authorities are increasingly crying and bitching and moaning and doing this all day long because they don't understand how they're going to move forward into the future. Okay, so that I'm, there's one more paragraph. It's not important. What's important here is the very, very, very scant information that is available to us with this Collins matter. How the hell did they seize this Bitcoin? That's, that's the question. If you're holding that much Bitcoin, how come you don't, I mean, if, dude, 50, was it $56 million? $56 million. What did it, did, was, did he have a hot wallet on his, on his computer? How was it seized? Because if he had done this correctly, they wouldn't have gotten dick. That's the whole point, guys. The whole point. How you can let $56 million just evaporate. You know, I mean, was it a hot wallet? I mean, did they, was it a cold wallet? Uh, Did he have a crypto steal? Did they know what they were looking at and seize the thing? And he has, I don't know, like 
I don't know, like a two or three multi-sig or something where they've got one canister and it's like, whoop-de-doo, I've got the other two chilled, you know, buried in the ground at these coordinates that are in this, like this Shakespeare book or something like that, that I keep on a shelf in a library. And I, I don't know. However, it is that you got to go do that shit, whatever that looks like to you. But still, I mean, apparently the court was just able to go get it. And honestly, man, that's scary as hell. So guys, again, don't keep your shit on exchanges. Don't keep your shit in third-party stuff. Make sure that you have at least a hardware wallet, maybe a crypto steal or something like that. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you, but having the ability for these guys to just go to his house and come away with $56 million that they're just going to auction off, that's, I don't know, kind of reprehensible, bro. Kind of reprehensible. But Warren Buffett doubles down on why he thinks Bitcoin is no different than seashells. Well, Thankfully, I, I guess he's not calling it double rat poison or whatever. This is the Daily Hodel staff writing on the 18th of February that the chief executive officer of Berkshire Hathaway and cryptocurrency skeptic thinks that Bitcoin is on par with seashells that do nothing. During Buffett's January 23rd dinner date with Justin Sun, founder of blockchain platform Tron, the billionaire investor explained why he believes Bitcoin is a lousy investment. Quote, we can plant something and harvest it, but Bitcoin cannot capture the value of blockchain. <laughs> Just because something has value doesn't mean it's a good investment. Wow. I love that first sentence. We can plant something and harvest it, but Bitcoin cannot capture the value of blockchain. This is a man that truly is out of his depth when it comes to this. And that's okay. He's 89 years old. He's made his money. He doesn't need to learn anything new. If I was Warren Buffett, I'd probably think the exact same thing. I don't worry about what Warren says, but it is interesting to see just how not in the rabbit hole somebody can be, and then they start spouting off shit. And uh, Bitcoin cannot capture the value of blockchain is quite possibly... the. That I, I, I'm going to, that may very well be the trophy that our, one of these days I'm going to give a trophy at the end of the year. You know, if I get sponsors or whatever and can, and can afford it, I'm going to have a trophy built and have the sculpture done by like, I don't know, uh, Brecky Von Bitcoin or one of the other really kick-ass artists like Lucio or something like that. And uh, on the base of it is going to be this quote, we can plant something and harvest it, but Bitcoin cannot capture the value of blockchain. That's going to be the quote on the trophy. I'm <laughs> telling you, man, there's no better quote to demonstrate somebody who doesn't understand this thing. Anyway, Buffett says he'd rather buy land than Bitcoin. Hey, I'm going to stop again. I like land. All the wealth in the world that has ever been has come from the land. Whether it's minerals underneath it or food on top of it or the real estate that sits on top of it <clears throat> or whatever, all wealth that has ever existed in the world has come from the land. I would use some of my Bitcoin to buy land. I'm go I would well, I would trade it. I would trade Bitcoin for land. Not all of it, you know, not all of my Bitcoin, but I would definitely make that trade because here I do agree with Warren. Land is a good investment. I like land. I wouldn't develop on it except for like, you know, permanent 
food production. And we'll, one of these days, I'll get into what that means. I'm not talking about your standard farm. I'm talking about something completely different. But something that generates food all year long, every single year, with the minimum amount of inputs and the maximum ability to hold water so that it can survive droughts. Again, one of these days, we'll talk more about that. But he says that he'd rather buy land than Bitcoin, and he's satisfied that the U.S. dollar system and the protection people get from stocks and equity, not Bitcoin. Well, all the equities are, are grossly oversold. The business magnate, who ranks as the fourth richest person in the world, also assured Sun that any widespread appeal of Bitcoin isn't likely to grow among younger generations. Quote, I'm sure my grandson would rather inherit my wealth in U.S. dollars. Yeah, just so you guys know, Warren a long time ago put a $1 million cap for all of all of the people that are going to be able to uh, benefit from his death. Like his son gets $1 million, that's it. Everything else goes, I guess, to the to the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda or whatever. I, I remember reading about that a few years back. But uh, it, any of his offspring are only going to get a million dollars. So this is kind of a useless statement, but whatever. Quote, the U.S. dollar is able to store value, but Bitcoin is not capable of doing so and therefore is not different from a seashell. That very well may be the second place trophy I, for the daily train wreck. I don't know. But those quotes are going to have to be used. Oh, my God. I got to settle down. I'm going to come back and do some vitals. But that's morning roundup one. Well, uh, Bitcoin or BitInfoCharts.com. God, I'm having such a problem. I'm sorry. BitInfoCharts.com. Who's not a sponsor but should be? Well, they probably got no money. How's Bitcoin at 10130 bucks? Looks like my high is going to be over at Coin, Coinbase Pro at 10167 while the low very well may be the number that I just gave you, $10,130.55. 318,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour being 13,270 transactions. But 1.3 million Bitcoin were sent over that last 24 hours with 55,700 BTC being sent per hour on average. Four point, ooh, it's 420, bro. 4.20 BTC is the average transaction token, I mean, uh, value. Median transaction value is 0.03 BTC or right at $305. Block times is just a bit high, 10 minutes, 17 seconds. We have 0.25 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 35 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a subtraction of 6.6% in the hash rate that brings us down to 114 exahashes per second. It looks like the last time we didn't do dick for Bitcoin was sometime this morning for me, probably tomorrow for you. Uh, 19th of February was the last time somebody committed anything to the GitHub core repository, which apparently will then be sued by Craig Stewart Wright because he's Craig Wright, bitch. Ethereum at 282, Bcash at 415, BSV at 307, Litecoin is at 77.5, Ethereum Classic is 9.5, Dogecoin is at 0.0028, Dogecoin... Uh, gotta take the doge for a walk because it ain't beating anybody in transactions on a 24-hour basis 
I'm showing 105 exahashes per second on uh, my BTC node, uh, or yeah, uh, my node. Yeah, my node shows 105 exahashes per second. Moderately full uh, mempool at 27.82 megabytes, representing 20,356 unconfirmed transactions. All the blocks, well, not all the blocks, but all the last 10 blocks that I'm seeing are at capacity. The Lightning Network shows 11,559 nodes, 36,342 channels, <laughs> you do. 898.85 BTC representing $9.12 million in liquid assets chilling out on that network. Seven new nodes came online in the last 24 hours, representing a 22.22% drop in the amount of new nodes on a day-over-day basis. The number of new channels is 123, and that represents an almost 40% drop in the number of new channels coming online in a 24-hour period. That's going to do it for vitals. Right, second part of morning roundup starts with Coinbase becomes direct Visa card issuer with principal membership. Andre Shevchenko, or Shevchenko, I'm sorry for continuously butchering your name, Andre. Um, this was uh, February the 19th. This is out of Coin Telegraph, who, by the way, is running Coin Geek ads in their banner. So tell Coin Telegraph to stop making us listen from Craig Wright is going to speak at some geek conference. Yeah, I mean, it's like full-scale banner issue over here on Cointelegraph. Make sure you let them know on their at Cointelegraph Twitter how much you enjoy that one. Coinbase is now a principal member of Visa. According to a February 19th announcement, this will allow it to issue debit cards without relying on third parties. The membership is an evolution of Coinbase's current relationship with Visa, which allows cryptocurrency exchange providing a Visa-based debit card called Coinbase Card. <laughs> it allows customers residing in the European Union or uh, European countries to send multiple cryptocurrencies. With While the card itself can function globally, it cannot be ordered by people residing outside of the supported areas. Coinbase reports that the card is seeing the most usage in the United Kingdom, followed by Italy, Spain, and then France. Through the direct integration with Visa, Coinbase promises that it will be able to provide additional services and support more markets. The company asserts that it is the first pure play crypto company to become a principal member the current iteration of the card was launched in 2019 in the UK, but Coinbase previously supported the Shift crypto card, which drew funds from the user's exchange balance. The service was launched in 2015. Like many other crypto cards, Shift was hit hard by the revocation of Wavecrest's Visa license in early 2019. The Gibraltar company was the effective issuer of almost all debit cards that serve cryptocurrency users. Shift finally shut down operations in early 2019. The new version is supported by PaySafe Financial Services, the company behind consumer projects, products such as Skrill and PaySafe Card. It is unclear when or how the transition to Coinbase-issued cards will occur. Coinbase representatives did not immediately reply for a request to comment. So, uh, Coinbase getting into the issuance game of, uh, God, credit cards. 
I, uh, Coinbase, whatever, but it's, it's, it's there. You got to deal with it. How much Bitcoin do you need to be in the richest 1% of BTC holders? Well, American HODL will tell you 6.15, right? And, uh, 6.15 at 6.15 will tell you at 6.15 too. Let's find out how much Bitcoinist Christina Combin thinks you need just when you were lamenting not buying more Bitcoin before the price spiked, Jake Levinson made your day. According to the BlockWorks Group analyst, you only need 0.28 BTC to be in the top 1% richest of the world in BTC terms. As BTC blasts through the 10,000 mark again, in spite of possible impending bearish regulation, Bitcoinists recently reported that just 2% of all addresses hold one BTC or more. Of course, many people hold more than one BTC spread out over various wallets. However, the actual number of people who own a whole Bitcoin is really quite small at somewhere between 500,000 and 1 million. There's no need to despair. If you haven't been able to acquire a full BTC, though, Jake Levinson says all it takes is 0.28 BTC. But how did he reach this conclusion, and when is this scenario likely to appear? While Levinson's bullish post sparked a flurry of excitement, it also raised a few questions like, where did he derive that figure, and when will this scenario take place? <laughs> One of his followers pointed to a blog post by Unchained Capital's Parker Lewis called Bitcoin obsoletes all money. You can have that read to you by Guy Swan over at Cryptoconomy if you so choose. Just I'm just saying it's this is me talking. It's just I love Guy. So there's your plug, Guy. He uploaded a graphic showing that this could possibly be the case circa 2030. This is when average holdings are 0.001 BTC and there are 1 billion users on the network. However, according to Levinson, if you've got 0.28 BTC, it's already happening right now. He replied, quote, from now until the end of time, my tweet was saying that if you own 0.28 BTC, only 1% of the world will ever be able to own more than you. Hence, putting you in the top 1%. That may not be such a bullish thing after all, depending on your point of view, as BTC Chris pointed out, quote, no more than five to 10 million people will ever own a full Bitcoin. This naturally implies an unfair distribution of the wealth as whales, hodlers, nations, and institutions hold the lion's share. Still, if you want to say you're in the top 1%, even though that currently equates to around two, 20, <coughs> must be allergies in the air, 2835.2, you can do so with 0.28 BTC. And if you want to old, own a hold one, oh God, if you want to own a whole one, it may be time to get a move on. So there you go. There's that one. Um, it's a good time because of that to point out that you can buy less than one Bitcoin. Did you know that? It sure is true. You can certainly buy much less than one whole Bitcoin. A Bitcoin is made out of 100 million Satoshis. You can think of them as cents to the United States dollar, okay? You can own less than a dollar, and just in, in the exact same way, you can own less than one Bitcoin. But honestly, you may want to buy a whole Bitcoin. Bye, bye, bye! I'm telling you, bro, that's what I'm saying. Okay, now, continuing on with that, um, I had posted that 
that story about 0.28 Bitcoin putting you in the 1%. Well, at 0.615 is kind of a little pissed. He says, pretty sure these guys cribbed one of my first posts. I probably used outdated world population figures for mine, but their figures are inaccurate too. Fact is, owning Bitcoin is clearly the wise thing to do. And yeah, I'm still pissed at you. Yeah, he's, I'm going to have to atone for my sins because I actually, you know, I tweeted this story out because that's how I put the, uh, that's how I put the show together. And Gigi freaking told on me. So thanks, Gigi. He immediately tagged at 0.615 to my my post about this story. And I'm like, dude, don't tell on me. He's going to be pissed. And yeah, so 0.615 is kind of angry at me for, for shilling this story. But I have I, I, I will make amends and atone for my, my sins. <clears throat> I'm going to have to hire a certain uh, technical analyst and learn from the best. I'm going with a tone vase. Get it? Okay, fine. I hey, I try. I I do. But there are three reasons why running a Bitcoin node is easier than you think. Christina Combin is writing for Bitcoinist.com when? Sometime February the 19th. If you're a true believer in Bitcoin and you don't want to see it succeed. Or, or I'm sorry, and you want to see it succeed, you can help strengthen the network by running a full node. It may sound intimidating if you're not a programmer, but it's actually a lot easier than you think. Here's why. One, you don't need to invest in expensive equipment. Running a full node is not like mining Bitcoins. You don't need to spend $3,000 on an ASIC AntMiner S9. You also don't need to have an abundance of cheap power or even an excessively powerful device. Unlike mining, running a full node won't take up much of your electricity. It also won't place anywhere near as much strain on your equipment. Contrary to popular belief, you don't actually need to keep your computer on all the time, although the longer the better. A minimum of six hours a day is required. Two, it's fairly easy to meet the minimum requirements. Let's be clear, you can't run a full node from your mobile phone or travel laptop. There are certain requirements you'll need to meet otherwise. You'll just run into a myriad of performance and cost issues. But if you have a decent piece of kit already that's running a recent version of Windows, Mac OS, or Linux, you'll only need 200 gigabytes of free disk space and 2 gigabytes of memory. This can be either a desktop or a laptop as long as it meets these specs. You'll also need an unmetered high-speed internet connection, which many providers offer today. Although, be sure to check your internet plan first to make sure that excess upload bandwidth is included. If your internet is spotty or you're barely able to stream Netflix, running a full node is probably not for you at this time. Three, once you've checked with your internet provider to ensure that your equipment meets the minimum requirements, all you need to do is run the latest Bitcoin Core client version. Keep in mind that this may take some time. The Bitcoin blockchain is now over 260 gigabytes in size. Hold up right there because you said all I needed was 200 gigabytes of free disk space. Guys, everybody can make mistakes. You need more than 200 gigabytes of uh, free disk space. You need at least 260, but that's going to grow in size every single day. Start with a terabyte. Do yourself a favor, okay? 
So just skip this part. But in either way, you're still going to have to wait and be patient while your node synchronizes. If you're not tech savvy in the slightest, it may be a good idea to call for some help in the beginning. While you certainly don't need a degree in computer science to contribute to making the network more robust and decentralized, you may encounter some issues. For example, the Bitcoin blockchain contains parts of a known computer virus in it. Don't be alarmed. These can't infect your computer, but your antivirus program may interfere in quarantine data, making it difficult to run Bitcoin Core. This is generally a Windows problem, and you can reach out to the community for assistance. Make sure that whoever helps you is qualified and reputable before taking their advice. Running a full node isn't for everyone. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Why, Why do you say shit like that? But if you've been in the space for some time and want want to help the network while also enjoying greater privacy, now is as good a time as any. Several things are not said in this article. Not the least of which is the whole 200 gigabytes of necessary free uh, free hard disk space and then going on in the next paragraph to say that the blockchain itself is 260 gigabytes. Okay, right there, right there. Okay, the whole virus thing. Yeah, you might want to look into that. That's not anywhere. That's not that's not a thing. Kind of. It's just I'm not going to get into it, but it's kind of not a thing. Also, no mention was made that I have a computer. I'm talking to you. Well, I'm I'm using it to record myself and all the rest of the stuff right now. Um, it does not have a core node on it. No, no, it doesn't. Where is my Bitcoin node? It's in the corner on top of the the foot part of the lamp that I have in the corner of my room with a one terabyte hard drive sitting on a Raspberry Pi. The whole thing I can fit in my back pocket. It's on all the time. I never have to turn it off and I'm going to run it until it dies. Uh, I will make, I mean, I will have the entire chain backed up on the hard drive. But honestly, I'm like when I monitor the temperature of the rig, it's in a case. It's got a small fan. Uh, the hard drive is is separate from the unit, but the unit sits on top of the hard drive and it's you know hooked together by a USB cable. And then it's got a power cable into it. Takes up virtually no room, and I don't have to use up any of my computer's disk space for it because I it has a dedicated hard drive. None of that was mentioned in this piece. Also, what was not mentioned in this piece was how to go get the damn software. My advice, just use my node, honestly. And it's not because I have a problem with Casa or something like that. It's just, that's just what I used. A lot of people were like, man, just, God, just use the, the my node stuff. And it's stupid simple to do. Go to my node BTC or just Google my node BTC. You will find them. If for whatever reason you have questions, get on Twitter. Use Twitter's internal search function for MyNodeBTC. You will find eventually what you're looking for within, I don't know, a couple of minutes, if you hadn't already found it by Google. Their software is super easy to run, and you don't have to buy it. They have a premium version that you can give them 99 bucks for, and that's good to support the developers because they, you know, food costs money, rent costs money, money costs money. So they need like some kind of, you know, income coming in that will give you access to a few premium features, but the basic stuff like a Bitcoin wallet, the, the node software, 
a lightning full node, everything that you need to be a first-class citizen without paying a single dime is afforded to you by the good people at Node BTC, who are also not sponsors of the pod. One day, buddy, one day. Why FTX exchanges FTT token surged? Presidential betting. <laughs> Pin-up demand for presidential betting seems responsible or irresponsible as the case may go. I think betting and gambling and shit is irresponsible, but hey, if that's your game, I, then I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything bad about you. For me, gambling is a bad idea. So is trading. I actually equate the two. Whatever. Presidential betting on crypto and derivatives exchange FTX may have resulted in an 11% surge for its FTT token this weekend. A small $200 million market cap coin has seen its price surge by almost 35% since the beginning of the year. Wow, look at that thing, man. More than most of that growth has been powered by a rally starting at the beginning of the week where it jumped more than 11%. By the way, this is crypto briefing. Uh, Preyushu Garg is writing this one. Uh, most of the, when it jumped more than 11%. Okay, there we go. The token called FTT is the native token of the increasingly popular FTX cryptocurrency exchange. Launched in the summer of 2019, the coin aimed to provide incentives for traders on the platform. However, an increasing spot trading on the exchange was not what seemingly fueled the coin's growth, but the rather interesting addition to FTX's offer. The exchange recently introduced several new futures products, allowing its users to bet on the results of the upcoming United States presidential election. <laughs> yeah, we're betting on a three-ring circus now, people. The Hong Kong-based exchange, a subsidiary of the Alameda Research Company, introduced a new product to its offerings earlier in January, enabling users to utilize its derivative coins to bet on the upcoming election. According to Sam Bankman-Fried, or Wait, what? San, Sam Bankman Fried. Bankman Fried is hyphenated. That scares me. The CEO of FTX. The exchange currently lists six presidential candidates. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Michael Bloomberg, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg, whatever. Each of these candidates have a coin representing them, which is essentially a futures contract that expires to $1 if they win the 2020 general presidential election. If the candidate loses the election, the contract is set to expire to $0. While speaking on the Coinist podcast, Bankman Fried said that the way the price is set for the coin makes it easier to understand the contract and calculate the odds. The price of the Trump coin, which currently stands at $0.62, cents, means that the market believes there is a 62% chance that the standing president will get another term in the White House. The volume of the President 2020 is still a small percentage of FTX's overall volume, Bankman Fried said, but added that the coins have been huge for the exchange in terms of user growth. On launch day, the exchange has set its record for the number of daily active users. The Trump contract alone sees around $1 million in trading volume per day. FTX's Trump, Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, Warren, and Pete coins aren't the only presidential products on the market. However, Bankman Fried said, or Friend, or, no, this one says Bankman Friend. Okay, I'm getting confused. 
Bankman friend said that the exchange's liquidity and high volume make the coins popular among traders. So if you want to bet on the three ring circus, you need to go over to FTX and, and I guess do it there. I don't know. I'm, gambling's not my bag, but I kind of like the way that they're doing this. I mean, it's like, if I buy Trump coin at 62 cents and he wins the election, I get a buck for every 62 cents that I spent. That representing, as of the day of the contract purchase, a 62% belief that Trump is going to win the election. I The way that I'm thinking about this is that it very well may be these are the best presidential polls that we'll ever see. I, I'm just saying, I, I don't have any evidence for that. I mean, the truth will be in like, you know, after this happens over a few different elections and whatnot like that. But what if it comes, we come to find out that all the polling and all the, the media sponsored stuff that tries to predict what, who the president's going to be because of whatever, you know, vehicles they use. What if that all ends up just being, you know, binned because this is a much better prediction market? For a long time, I had a problem with why the hell do we have prediction markets? If you have a problem understanding why prediction markets and why this is something, why isn't this just gambling? I've come, maybe my experience will help you. I finally come to the situation where, yes, prediction markets are gambling, but unlike just gambling on roulette, there's real information being produced by the community that is gambling. Like, for instance, if roulette as a game somehow or another was slated to be ended in the world and there would never be another roulette game played after some certain date, then you would be able to rack up all of the statistics, known statistics of every game ever played and recorded of roulette, and you would come up with a product. The potential for each number and both of the colors as to how, you know, on a 35 to 1 payout, uh, you know, on, on betting on a particular number, how there would be statistics as a product. In But as long as roulette still is going to be played, and it is, it's never going to end, then gamblers that are gambling on roulette, they produce nothing. They either lose their money or they gain their money. In these cases of the prediction markets, there there seems to be telegraphing of real, potentially vital information as to what's going on in a certain market. So that's where I finally come to in understanding why the hell we even have prediction markets. If that helps you, I'm glad to have helped. If it doesn't, uh, I... I'm just going on. Bitcoin coders confront an old quandary, how to upgrade an entire network. Well, gee, I don't know. Why don't you ask the Bitcoin ABC guys? They seem to have it down pat. February 19th, Alyssa Hertig is writing for Coindesk.com. An old debate is resurfacing. How to critically uh, decentralize systems and how to upgrade the software when ostensibly no one is in charge. The catalyst this time is called Taproot Schnorr. A years in the making privacy and scaling upgrade that's been exciting uh, progress. No, that's seen exciting progress recently. 
especially now that the code in the form of a pull request is being reviewed and tested, bringing a change first discussed years ago closer to reality. The code itself isn't controversial among developers so far. What is up for discussion is the best way to activate the change, making it finally possible to send a Bitcoin transaction in this new way. Think SegWit. That's my aside. Think SegWit. At the heart of why there's a question about all this is that Bitcoin has no leader and is distributed across the globe. How does the whole network smoothly upgrade in a way that's backward compatible, allowing those with older versions of the software to continue participating? What's the best way for Bitcoin to make this type of change without disruption? To be clear, Bitcoin's code is updated almost every day by the Open Source Project's global web of developers, but consensus code changes, which strike at a deeper part of Bitcoin, require a soft fork, which in turn requires a certain amount of coordination to go through smoothly, quote, there are a series of soft fork designs which have recently been making good progress towards implementation and future adoption. However, for re various reasons, activation methods have gotten limited discussion. Bitcoin Core member contributor Bitcoin Core contributor Matt Corallo wrote in an email to the Bitcoin developers list last month that reopened the debate. There are two main options for enacting a soft fork. One option, Bitcoin Improvement Proposal 9, or BIP 9, has been used for a few soft forks in the past. It ensures the miners are prepared in advance for a soft fork to make sure a chain smoothly ripples throughout the network. A common objection to this approach is that it gives miners too much power. Alternatively, there's BIP 8 also known as the User Activated Soft Fork, UASF, which activates regardless of whether miners signal they are ready to or not. Depending on execution, this approach could cause other problems, Corallo cautioned. History lesson, here we go. Thank you for giving us the history of segregated witness. The discussion started in 2017. When BIP9 was used to activate segregated witness or SegWit, a change integral to Bitcoin's great scaling debate the pro to protect miners from mining invalid blocks and losing money, SegWit would not activate until 95% of miners raised a flag showing they were ready. The majority of mining pools, groups of miners who combined their computational power on the network, declared that they would not back SegWit, essentially vetoing it, unless it was paired with an increase in the block size parameter. <clears throat> this was a controversial demand that many believe could lead to the centralization of the network and couldn't be executed successfully unless Bitcoin were centralized anyway. Long story short, the incident showed mining pools could use the 95% threshold to extract other changes instead of the intended purpose to help them ease into the change so that they wouldn't lose money. Many Bitcoiners did not like this. Seeing it as miners trying to use their powers to push through a change that not all users wanted. As the debate raged on, a mysterious developer going by the, ha the handle Shallenfry pointed out that Bitcoiners could still make the upgrade. The root of the idea is that Bitcoin users and exchanges should decide whether a change should go through and miners would follow their desires, not the other way around. This method had been used to activate other Bitcoin changes. Shallon Fry formalized this idea in BIP8, otherwise known as UASF. A large swath of users loudly declared support for the SegWit UASF on social media and began running the software. This seems to have, the, have had the desired effect. 
Before the day the UASF could activate, miners started flagging support for SegWit. Notably, there were a couple of flavors of UASF circulating during this tumultuous time, one more cautious and more conservatively timed and less controversial than the other. But without getting into the weeds, the takeaway for some Bitcoin developers was that UASF was a better way to enact changes. At the time, Rusty Russell, a developer at Bitcoin startup Blockstream, went as far as to apologize for playing a part in constructing BIP9, quote, I hadn't expected that this checkpoint would be used as a choke point to ransom the network. This significantly changes the risk model. BIP-8 is now a far superior method for network upgrades where miners can only accelerate the process, not block it. He wrote in a Medium post. Remembering all this drama, some developers are wary about using BIP-9 again for Schnorr Taproot or other future changes. Quote, I think BIP9 is a proven failure, said Bitcoin Core developer Luke Dash Jr. Responding to Corallo, going on to provide technical reasons for his uh, objection. During the scaling debate, Luke Dash Jr. was one of the most vociferous proponents of a UASF to push SegWit through. Alex Bosworth, the developer at startup Lightning Labs, expressed a similar similar opinion based partly on a recent drama surrounding Bcash, a smaller cryptocurrency that split off from Bitcoin in 2017. A sizable group of Bcash mining pools recently proposed that some BCH from each new block should go to a development fund, which Bosworth sees as another example of mining pools flexing their muscles in a way that's bad for cryptocurrency decentralization. Quote, I know that common thinking for soft fork deployment is to attempt the traditional friendly miner method, but a good one-third of our current hash rate has just organized into a cartel for the purpose of censorship to steal coin subsidy, tweeted Bosworth, who works on infrastructure for the speedy and scalable Lightning Network. That's why he supports a UASF method, though one with a longer time horizon. Quote, a slow burn UASF feels most appropriate to me. (laughs) But some urging caution, worry that looking to UASF as the sole activation method could open up the possibility of pushing through changes that could hurt Bitcoin. For example, one reason developers initially liked BIP9 is the 95% threshold could provide a sort of safety net. If a problem came to light while mining pools were working to upgrade their software, then pools could stop the change. It's tougher to stop a UASF activation once initiated. That's why Corallo reproposed an old idea, something of a mixture of BIP8 and BIP9. The soft fork would start with BIP9. Then, if it failed over the course of a year due to unreasonable objections, we're going to have to define that, guys. Users could debate and regroup over a period of six six months. After that, if the change is definitely something the community wants, They can try BIP8 over the period of another year. Some developers might argue this time period is too long for a change with no unreasonable objections, but Corallo urged patience. Finding out whether the objections really are unreasonable could take some time. In the case that it does not fail, BIP9 processes, in fact, provide a good learning opportunity as to the level of community readiness and desire for a given change, he said. Developing Bitcoin is not a race. If we have to, waiting 42 months ensures we're not setting a negative precedent that we'll come to regret as Bitcoin continues to grow, he said. Readers can read Corallo's full reasoning here. And while Russell seemed quite against BIP9 in 2017, he told Coindesk he now agrees with this hybrid approach. Quote, 
Since the miners' attempt to block changes didn't work and we didn't suffer greatly from the delay, I don't mind BIP9 activation. But he proposed a shorter timeline than Corallo. Quote, perhaps the one-year BIP9 timeout is too long and a six-month expiry would be preferable. That way, users can organize a UASF if the BIP9 activation fails and they feel it is due to minor obstructionism, Russell said. Engineers are painstakingly reviewing the proposed Taproot Schnorr code to fix any lingering problems so that there's still time for developers to discuss activation options. But the community will need to decide on something before the change can be added to Bitcoin, building more privacy into the network. And that's going to do it for that. I know what we'll do. Well, half the network will fork. We'll take a snapshot of everybody's wallet and, and, and then we'll join up on the other side. Okay. When it all comes to like when, when one side wins, we'll, we'll just come together in a big kumbaya moment. And those of us that have double the coins and, and benefited from inflation due to forks and really bad governance. Um, no, let's see this. What if you didn't understand anything that I just said? It's okay. It it really is. I barely understand it myself, but there's something there. I get the feeling that in the future we're going to see somebody try to have inflation in the Bitcoin currency <clears throat> by not forking into another coin, but by forking and somehow or another rejoining the networks up and somehow on the other side end up with with longer uh, uh, minor subsidies and the fact that a bunch of whales just got twice as many coins, how that works. I don't think it would certainly not in the, the, the minuscule way that I've described it there, but I'm trying to think adversarially. And and this is a situation that I think needs, needs some thought into how enemies of Bitcoin can make it look like they are friends of Bitcoin and somehow or another come up with a how do we get this done proposal? And it somehow or another ends up in a, in a fork of Bitcoin where half the miners go BIP, you know, nine and the other, you know, half go BIP eight or, or some hybrid thereof. And then everybody has that kumbaya moment on the other end. <clears throat> and then they all, you know, somehow or another hybridize the, the, the systems and you end up somehow with more coin. Anybody who suggests that or anything that even remotely looks like that, it's like Buddha. If you see him on the road, shoot him. Okay. Don't let anybody propose forking Bitcoin to obscure the fact that they want inflation in the coin. 21 million is the cap. The inflation schedule goes down by half every four years. If it doesn't look like that, it is not Bitcoin. Now, sorry, that was a little ramp, but I'm, like I said, I'm thinking adversarial, adversarially how the hell do we not get into these scrapes? Uh, I was there for UASF, uh, and I remember what that time was like, and it sucked. It was good on the other side because we won, uh, but what if we had lost and the miners had gone, gone if we had just gone ahead with BIP8, and then we did the SegWit 2X thing where we got SegWit, but we had to double the block size. Um <sighs> This is probably, this debate will probably never end. And if somebody has a really good way to do these kind of upgrades without freaking everybody and their dog out, please let us all know because I'm sure all of us would love to know. But until that time, this is what we've got to work with. And I want to see Schnorr and Taproot 
I'm glad that they're taking their time. I'm glad that we there's at least enough of us who can be patient, patient enough that we don't make critical critical errors. Let's see, do we got time for this one? We do. It's, I know I'm running long, but Coindesk.com has this one from Ian Allison, and it was written oh, sometime today. UK-based crypto exchange CoinFloor, which made the news last year by delisting Ethereum to focus solely on Bitcoin, is launching a simplified buying service. Going live next month, CoinFloor, the longest-running crypto exchange in the UK, is providing an auto-buy service aimed at Bitcoin newbies and hodlers alike, as opposed to sophisticated trading types. It's all part of CoinFloor's no-BS approach to crypto, said Obi Nwoso who wants to educate new users as well as to offer full transparency in the form of monthly proof of custody audits of all the coins held on the platform. Quote, there are maybe 5% of people who are either trading professionals or who like to speculate. For them, high volatility trading is fine, but we want to make the exchange for the other 95% who don't want their currency to be, in vile, in, in, <coughs> to be volatile. Our idea is to try and make buying Bitcoins boring. I like that, said Nuasso. I really enjoy the boring aspect of this. When Bitcoin gets boring is when we've we've won. CoinFloor's auto buy uses dollar cost averaging so that users who might be queasy about Bitcoin volatility can buy small amounts on a regular basis over a long period of time. These purchases, once set up, are done via bank transfers using the UK's faster payment system. Nwasu said it comes down to advising people to start with amounts as little as $13 a week, buying Bitcoin regularly in the background at an amount that's very comfortable for them. If they're going to do it, or if you are going to do it, you are going to want to do it with an asset that has the longest track record of growth and the highest highest likelihood of growth in the future, and that's Bitcoin. I agree. CoinFloor is proud of its Bitcoin audit service, which the exchange has been releasing every month for some six years now. It consists of a time-stamped and transparent list of all the balances being held for pseudonymous customers. A number of large crypto exchanges agreed to provide crypto solvency audits following the notorious collapse of Mt. Gox, but none of them kept it, Nuasu said. Pointing to the to this week's F-Coin debacle, Nuasu asked why exchanges are not providing proof of custody. Quote, it was insolvent maybe for over a year. Bitcoin audits would have solved this. No, it wouldn't. I just completely disagree with Nuasu. It wouldn't have solved their problem. Their problem was inherent from apparently day one, according to the four or five news reports that I've read about F-Coin. So there are, I mean, audits clearly are a good thing, but it's not a magic bullet. Audits, companies that self-audit are good until they're not. Rather, they stop auditing. I mean, if, let's say that I got a, let's say that I got an exchange or some kind of lending service or anything where it's a third party and I'm holding your Bitcoin. It could be lolly, right? I'm holding Bitcoin. And I'm going, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to audit my shit every month. Hey, that's great. Except for the month that I don't audit, which is the same month that I've cashed everybody's shit out, gotten on a yacht that I bought and sailed to the freaking Bahamas under a Cayman Islands flag or something like that, and you never see or hear from me again. Audits are good until they stop. And when they stop, yikes. That's all I'm saying, and that's all there is for the Morning Roundup.
All right. Daily Train Ricked is brought to you by At Stake Hex. Now, before I begin, <clears throat> I'm going to cut uh, At Stake Hex some slack. If you hadn't listened to an earlier show, um, Stake Hex closed, Stake Hex closed down their, uh, well, whatever it is that they were doing with Hex because they could no longer uh, guarantee that this wasn't a scam, either by exit or by... Um, I think in their case, they were not able to guarantee that the uh, market wasn't being manipulated, you know, i.e. the hex price. <clears throat> and he did the right thing. He shut it down. <clears throat> and then he made a public announcement that he was shutting it down and gave the full disclosure of why he was shutting it down. So I had this in my in my daily train wreck list from a long time ago. So stake hex. You got in the list, buddy. I I I got a train wrecked your ass for for this particular one that was done all the way back on January the sixth. <sighs> Not seeing what you are, he was very clear several times in the video that nothing should be expected from the Ethereum once it is sent to the smart contract. Who controls it is immaterial. The ETH is gone once you transform it to hex. Nothing for the SEC. To care about. Oh, yeah, not a train wrecked, but you know, hey, whatever. Um, yeah, the SEC would care about that. It it took a while to get Stakex to figure this one out, but unlike many of the other bag holders out there, he finally got it. And kudos, bro that you that you were able to go you know what man this is like this is all bullshit cuz that's what happened he's just like this is all bullshit and the whole notion that the guy i mean this is like how transparent it was you should expect nothing of the money that you put into your thing and in, in, in you you should expect nothing from your investment here um and who controls it is immaterial and the ETH is gone once you transform it to Hex. No, the ETH isn't gone. It's, it was never gone. Those, for anybody who's holding a bag of Hex, the Ether that you used to buy that Hex didn't disappear. It wasn't converted to Hex, as in like, a one, like an atomic conversion, which means one of them has to disappear for the other one to appear like a change of, of mass and energy into another form of mass and energy. To do that, one mass or energy has to be destroyed or completely converted into another type of mass or energy. No, Richard Hart Wynn controlled the wallet and the ETH you put into the wallet is his. And he emptied the wallet and he walked away with all of the ETH that I'm sure he probably converted to dollars. I haven't really heard much out of Richard Hartwin since that entire thing took place. But if he did like 100% exit scam and that's it, um, he must be pretty, it must be pretty pathetic for him. He was probably expecting hundreds of millions of dollars and he walked away, I think with single digits. Still not a bad payday when you get right down to it, right? Anyway, that's gonna do it for the smoldering pile chilling out in the corner. Terrible Joke Corner, <clears throat> brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. 
A cannibal once took my sister to see a Russell Crowe movie. Gladiator? No. I really miss her. I... Yeah, get... Okay, fine, whatever. Hey, I'm not going to do a song today because this ran way long. Uh, again, hey guys, I'm getting used to doing stuff in a new way. If you're not experimenting, you're stagnating at minimum. Dying at worst, but whatever. I will see all of you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.